Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Welcome back to the Nebraska Crop Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Dorsey. I'm a water and integrated cropping systems extension educator for Dodge and Washington counties in eastern Nebraska. But uh, it's my pleasure to host and produce the Crop Watch Podcast. We have a really great episode for you today. But before we dive into our topic, we're going to go over a few events that are coming up. The winter months, so December, January, February, are typically our, our busiest months in terms of extension programming that we have offered by the University of Nebraska. So the first series of events is our Confronting Cropping Challenges events. These offer pesticide or private applicator recertification opportunities, but also present some other information that might be valuable to you this season. So we have a few of these coming up. The first is on December 13th in Madison. Then we have another one on December 14th in David City. And then later on, we have some other opportunities for pesticide recertification. So we have these being offered through our crop production clinics that are going to be offered throughout the state. Um, these are starting in January. So on January 4th, we have one in Gehring, January 5th in North Platte, January 10th in Norfolk, January 11th in Ithaca, January 12th in Beatrice, January 18th in Kearney, January 19th in Hastings, January 20th in York, and January 24th in Kearney. So again, that, that's a lot of different events going on. If you want some additional information, a really great resource is checking our CropWatch website. You can also go to agronomy.unl.edu slash CPC for the crop production clinics. So again, these offer opportunities for those who need either private applicator training or commercial applicator training for pesticide certifications, as well as a a bunch of other information that's going to be presented at those events from weed management to disease management and a lot of others. We also have a few expos coming up. So On January 12th, we have our York Ag Expo that will be in York, Nebraska. And then on January 26th, the Fremont Corn Expo in Fremont. So these are some other really great events that uh, you can consider attending. So with that, we have a great episode for you today talking about a crop that's not widely grown in Nebraska, which is sugar beets, and specifically around wiping herbicides as a rescue treatment in, in sugar beets. And this is a topic that I'm not really very familiar with. I've, I've worked a little bit with sugar beets actually in North Dakota, where there's a lot of sugar beets grown in the Red River Valley in North Dakota and Minnesota, but not a whole lot here in Nebraska. So we have a, a great guest joining us who is Nevin Lawrence, who is an associate professor of plant physiology, weeds, and production systems. So Nevin, if you could give us a brief introduction on yourself and your background, that would be great. Yeah, happy to be here. I am a weed management specialist. That means I, I do research and I do extension. I'm located in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. There's there's several other weed specialists without throughout the state. I'm sort of the one that I do work in corn and soybeans a little bit, but I do mostly all the other crops in Nebraska. So in um, the Panhandle, Nebraska, we grow quite a bit of uh, droughtable beans, sugar beets, potatoes, sunflowers, a lot of alfalfa. And I, I tend to work more in those crops than than what you're going to see in in eastern Nebraska. And so that's that's why I'm here in this in the Panhandle is to serve uh, the the local crops, the local production systems here. And uh, those that's really what I focus on. So I, I do more of the uh, what I call minor and specialty crops within the state of Nebraska. And uh, sugar beets just happens to be one of those I'm focused on. Yeah, no, there is actually some diversity in crops in Nebraska. 
especially out west. So in eastern Nebraska, where I am, it's, it's pretty much just corn and soybeans and, and yeah. very little of anything else. But I know that out in your area, there is a lot more diversity. So could you give us some just some basic background on sugar beet production in that part of the state? Yeah, so uh, sugar beets are uh, generally going to be the first summer annual crop planted. So, of course, you know, winter wheat's going to be put in first, but in, in, um, with sugar beets, they're going to be the first one put in. And, and you're going to put those in as uh, soon as you have a pretty good idea that you're not going to have another freeze freezing opportunity. So that that's generally going to be about mid-April to, to early May, just depending on the year, depending on the forecast. And then it's the last crop to be harvested. Well, corn's generally later, but uh, with sugar beets, the way that they're produced, they're actually a biannual. So they're in their, in their native state. They're a crop that overwinters during that overwinter processing process that is going to cause them to go to seed and they're going to reproduce in that second year. Uh, we're not harvesting the seed, though. With uh, sugar beets, you're harvesting the root. You're going to be extracting uh, sucrose from that root to, to make into sugar. And so you're going to be harvesting in that first year. And basically, the longer the season is, the more sugar it's going to produce. And so your your season is basically from when you can get it into the ground without having to freeze kill new seedlings to when you can harvest it. And, and you can keep that in the ground up until the ground freezes. You have a hard freeze. So that's it, usually going to be harvested in, in October, maybe a little bit into November. The longer that's there, the, the more sugar it's going to produce. Sure. So one of the issues with sugar beets in particular is, is weed management. And I know that Palmer amaranth is a particular problem in sugar beet fields. So can you give us a little background on that relationship and why it is so challenging to manage Palmer amaranth? Weed control in general is very difficult in sugar beets. Uh, sugar beets, it, it's the same species as, as a table beet. So if you're not familiar with sugar beets, but maybe you garden or um, you, you've gardened in the past and you're familiar with just growing beets in your backyard, it's the same species. looks a bit different. It's going to have different structure and, and and height and all those sorts of things, but the same species. So it's a uh, low-growing crop. It's it's sort of slow to fill rows. It's slow to get going off the ground. And, and because of that, because it's, it's low in stature, it's slow to grow, it's far less competitive against weeds and other crops. That's one thing you understand about um, weed science in general is, you know, the weeds don't just compete against the crop. The crop competes against the weeds as well. So if you look at something like corn, corn's actually a very competitive uh, crop compared to a lot of other crops. Sugar beets is is not. It's it's one of the least competitive crops we grow. So that is sort of the first strike against it. The other problem with sugar beets is there are very, 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 very few herbicides available for, for sugar beet production. And because of that, the, the ones we do have when they don't work, either because they don't have selectivity on a particular weed or resistance does show up, you quickly run out of options. And in particular, right now, the only post-emergent herbicide, which means an herbicide that you would apply after the sugar beets are emerged and that has uh, foliar activity, so it's going to absorb through the, uh, the weed uh, leaves. The only option we have is glyphosate. There are no other herbicides in sugar beets that have activity on, on palmer amaranth or a few other species as well that we have resistant issues with. So once the palmer amaranth's up, if it is resistant to glyphosate, there are no other herbicide options available for growers. Right. I know that in Nebraska and throughout the country, having glyphosate-resistant weeds is, is, is a growing challenge and concern, especially with plants that are so prolific, like palmer amaranth and, and some others. So that can be a, a big problem. So when there is a weed issue in a field with sugar beets, what are some of the impacts that we see to production or yield or sugar? What happens when there is a presence there? 
Yeah, the, the biggest one is just going to be, uh, um, first of all, you yield in there. So we, we've done this work. We've actually quantified how how much a sugar beet uh, is, is uh, yield is reduced by the presence of Palmer amaranth. And if we look at something like corn and soybeans, this work's been done in those as well. And you might have something like um, a 50% yield reduction from one to two plants per meter of row. So one to two plants per meter of row, you're looking at a 30 to 40% yield reduction in, in, in corn if from season-long competition. With sugar beets, that's going to be about a 90 to 95% yield reduction. So a very small number of Palmer amaranths in the, the sugar beet field, if they are competing year-long against that, that sugar beet crop, it's going to lead to a, a full failure of the crop, basically. Because once you start getting up to that 90% yield loss, that's something we can quantify through research, but that's never something a grower is going to experience. Once they hit you know, 30 40% yield loss, it's probably not going to be economical to even harvest the field because of the the challenges with getting uh, the crop out of there. That's for any crop, but especially for sugar beets, you have these mechanical lifters that pick up the beets. Well, if the beets are too small to actually uh, to, to be picked up with those lifters, they can't harvest it. Now, we could still harvest it with a shovel, which we do in our research to quantify that yield loss, but it's it's going to be too far gone by then for them to even get a yield out of there. Uh, and that's, that's where they're at right now, is uh, if you have enough polymer present and you can't manage it, it can lead to fields being abandoned or trying to piecemeal harvest certain sections and not other sections to, to get something out of that that field. Yeah, I, I had no idea that the yield loss was that large. I mean, that's really significant, and it that's really drives home the importance of good weed management in that production system. So you wrote an article recently for CropWatch about some rescue treatments in sugar beets and some different methods to possibly do that. And one of the things in your article that you wrote about was using a weed wiper. And, and a weed wiper is not something that I had ever really heard about. And so I'm curious about learning more about that, that method of weed management, since myself and I'm sure that many are more familiar with just you know, traditional sprayers that go out and spray in the field. So can you give some details or explain what exactly a weed wiper is and how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So it if, uh, if you've been in the agronomy game for a while, especially working in wheat production, you know, let's say uh, the past 20 years, you may be familiar with one of them for cereal rye control. So that's really when these kind of started to become popular initially was for cereal rye control in winter wheat or spring wheat. The, those are very similar plants. And so a lot of times herbicide that would control one will control the other. So you can't really spray out that cereal rye from your from your winter wheat. So what they developed was this, it's basically a rope that gets stretched behind some kind of vehicle. It could be a tractor, it could be a four-wheeler. And then they would saturate that rope with glyphosate historically. And one of the differences between wheat and cereal rye is cereal rye is uh, a good, you know, six, eight, 10 inches taller than the wheat is. And so you'd have in your field of wheat, you'd have all these rye heads standing up and you could drive that rope right above the wheat canopy and hit all of those cereal rye plants and make contact with that, that glyphosate. And it'd be a very high concentration, so barely diluted. Um, and that would then translocate to the cereal rye plant, kill it, uh, and then you wouldn't have any seed production uh, contaminating your, your winter wheat. That was when these were first used quite often. And 
that went away with the introduction of um, some new herbicide technologies, especially clear-filled wheat, which then allowed selective removal of, of the cereal rye. But the, the weed wicker concept is, or weed wiper, um, those, those terms are used interchangeably, has kind of made a resurgence first in the South for, for Palmer amaranth control, and that was done in primarily cotton, and then a little bit in soybeans as well. So what you have to do to, to make the system work is you need to have a, a difference in the crop height and the weed height. So this is something that would not work in a crop like corn because your, your corn is going to be very tall. Generally, you're not going to see weeds punching up above the corn canopy. And if you do, it's going to be late in the year. But for shorter stature crops, this is something that could work. So in soybeans, in cotton in the south and then here we're we're at where i'm at western nebraska potentially dryable beans and also in in sugar beets uh and so same concept you're driving some sort of saturated material over the crop canopy and you're making contact with with the weeds now the problem is we're talking about glyphosate resistant palmer amaranth as i said earlier this this technology was first used with glyphosate which was great because the glyphosate would translocate through the weed, it would reach the roots, it would reach every part of the plant. But what can we use now that the, that we're trying to control glyphosate-resistant weed? The only other option labeled for this is actually Paraquat. And Paraquat is a contact herbicide. It's not going to move throughout the plant. It's only going to kill the plant where the contact is made. And so research done at, I believe in the CropWatch article, I, I referenced an extension publication by the University of, of Georgia. They were saying if you can get about 65% coverage of the target weed, that's enough to kill the weed of the paraquat uh, wiping. So that's what we're, we're really trying to do in this system is, uh, and what's been done in the, in the cotton and soybeans previously, is come through some point in the season, make contact with those taller weeds in this shorter stature crop, get enough coverage with that paraquat that you're covering majority of that weed, and that's going to eventually kill that weed and, and you're able to rescue that field. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting concept. And so when it comes to wiper efficacy and making sure that we get a successful treatment, there's a few things that come to my mind. Like you mentioned, you need to have the right crop height so that there is a difference between the two so that you get the plants that you're targeting and not, not your desirable crop that you want to leave in the field. But a lot of times when it comes to weed management, we talk about that control is usually best when the plants are smaller. So how does this work in terms of making sure that we have good treatments in terms of equipment settings that we have with a tractor or a sprayer that we have equipped with a wiper system in terms of speed, making sure that we get the right contact, but also you know, what height do we need to be running this equipment at or do we need to wait for those weeds to grow up to to be able to get good treatment? Those are all really good questions. And, uh, you, you know, I, it's it's a lot to tease apart here. But the first thing I'll, I'll point out is you said it's, it's better to control weeds and they're small. And that's absolutely correct. By the time that you you have this height difference between your crop and the weed, you're pretty late in the season and you could have pretty considerable stand loss. So I'm referring to this in the article as a rescue or salvage treatment. That is something that might let you go to harvest, but it's not going to necessarily save your crop yield at this point. So this is something that's going to be done late in the season, and it's, it's not going to be something that's going to turn your yields around. Because the damage at this point likely is going to be done. So that being said, you need to have this this difference. And the particular model I use is not a is not a saturated rope or a saturated wick. The equipment that I use in my research is a uh, roller wiper. So it's basically a metal drum that has astroturf or uh, astroturf like material stapled around this drum. 
and then there's a sprayer above it that you saturate it as it spins. And so you're wiping this sort of AstroTurf material saturated in a pesticide on the weeds over the crop. And I've done three years of research now on this. This is all funded by Western Sugar Cooperative. The first year, I basically just played with the machine all the time because it's it's difficult to get the settings right. You, you like uh, the speed, first of all, it needs to be pretty slow. Uh, you can't be going through the field too fast. As far as getting good coverage on the weed, you want to have that height difference between the, the weed and the crop. But the other thing you want is if you can have enough saturation in the wick or the wiper where some of that pesticide solution is going to be running down the stem after making contact, that's going to be optimal for control. The problem is that's very close to where it's dripping off the uh, wicking or wiping applicator. And that's you do not want because if you're running through the field with an herbicide and that drips off the, the wiper, and it lands, especially in sugar beets, if it lands in the crown of the of the beet, your the beet's done. It's it's over. And so if you have it too saturated and you're dripping, you can lose quite a bit of your um, your crop stand. And so getting that balance point right is very, very tricky. And then with my implement, I've been using it, as I said earlier, it's this rolling drum. The speed that that drum roll uh, spins is also important. If it's spinning too fast, it starts throwing material onto the crop. You don't want that. If it's too uh, slow, it could be dripping. And so there's this there's this optimal speed to get. But this also kind of speaks to a bigger issue I've had with this study is um, I can get my machine set up to work well for me. But uh, if a grower, you know, sees what I do and they want to do the same thing, they might choose to buy a different implement. And if they choose to buy a different implement, it might not necessarily be a worse implement. It could be a better implement than what I'm using. But the way that that's set up, the way that it's ran, um, the settings, is the the solution, all that kind of stuff, they have to figure that out on their own. It's not something that I can write a prescription for. They're going to have to just play around with it. And farmers, for the most part, have been, you know, they understand that. They they get that. It's not been a hard discussion to have with them. They understand that their, their situation is going to be unique. And a number of producers have, since I've started doing this research, have gone out and purchased one of these. They're they're relatively inexpensive compared to, you know, like a full-size self-propelled sprayer because they're not covering that many feet. They might only be covering 40, 60 feet wide at the most. And that's what they're, uh, and so if they've got several pivots they're managing or several farms even they're managing, it's not too much for them to go out there and purchase one and, and play around with it, which is what they've been doing. Yeah, that's great. So along with this podcast, we will put the link for the article that you wrote on CropWatch in the show notes so that those who are interested can go there and, and read more about this. Do you have other resources or other that other people can look at to learn more about this topic? You know, I did link to uh, University of Georgia's extension resource on that as well. That's a good one to look at. They have some more information and in, in, in dissimilar crops, but they're going to be providing some keys as far as, you know, height difference above the canopy and how much contact to get. And that's something to learn from as well. I do mention in the article, you know, what manufacturer I use if you want to check out that manufacturer, but there's many other manufacturers that all make good systems if it's something you're interested in. And if you're in the area and you want to go look at our wiper, you know, we'd be happy to show that. Uh, We will be doing hopefully a little bit more research with it this year, uh, just to compare that to some other, other technologies for rescue treatments. I appreciate it.